Hey everybody, I'm Tom Dorsey. And this is David Clark. And this is Sarah Maley. And it is one day after Christmas was just no date. Two, two days after two Christmas. Two days after Christmas. Yeah, time flies for me. The older you get, everything just kind of comes together. And when you got a house full of grandchildren, oh lordy. You just get used to the noise and let them run around and do what they're going to do. And I couldn't imagine having a multitude of grandchildren that you have. I've got one yeah. nephew, and that was that was ruckus enough. Yeah, I mean, that, that was, I've, and that's one nephew. That I, I was three grandchildren, but one of them was one year old, one of them was two years old, and the other one is five years old. But mix them all up together. The one year old can crawl. Actually, he can walk now, but he prefers crawling. But they can move and groove, man. I mean, they're all they're doing stuff continually. Mm-hmm. And uh, my granddaughter uh, Emerson, she loves the um, ABC, which is the kids' version. It's 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 learning your ABCs. Mm-hmm. And she'll come to me and say, "ABC, get on my lap and watch the ABC." She loves it. She learns about numbers and letters and the alphabet, and it's I think it's great. Sometimes her mom, my daughter Samantha, has to pull her away from me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, <clears throat> I don't know. But we we had a good conversation just a few minutes ago. And a lot of times before we even start the, the podcast, we have a conversation to talk about what we want to talk about. And the next thing you know, we said, Listen, we better press the button here and start this podcast. And said, so, you know what? We should have recorded our conversation. Yeah, the, you know? the 20 minutes prior to us starting this podcast should have just been the part we recorded. <laughs> Precisely. Somebody somebody needs to slip in here sometime. Yeah, I learned a lot. <laughs> and and press the button and then let it happen. Then don't tell anybody we're on tape. Let's yeah. see, maybe we can recreate it. <laughs> try again. Well, we're going we're gonna to try and recreate it because you asked me a lot of questions, Sarah, about <clears throat> one strategy that I use. And I do it at Folio Investing. Uh, because I can trade stocks, you know, once you become a member per, per year, it's 270 some dollars, whatever it is, per year. Then you can trade as many stocks as you want each day at no cost. Well, this isn't trading, but I call it probe trading. Because when you trade commodities, one of the things that you do when you trade commodities, because there aren't so many commodities that you can pick from, like we do have stocks, you probe for a trend. So let's say we were talking about you noticed that oil has picked up here, mm-hmm. and you noticed what was the ETF? DBO. The DBO uh, is breaking out <clears throat> to the upside. I may, as a commodities future trader, want to go trade oil. So I'll probe for a trend. What I'm going to do is I'm going to look at that, that uh, chart of oil, which I haven't done yet, and why don't you pull it up while we're doing this? Yep. Go into, is that oil? Yeah, this is crude oil. So okay. what we've done is we pulled up uh, CL forward slash okay. on our system here. In probe trading with commodities, you want to probe for a trend. And it may take you a while to catch that trend, but this, this trend is up. So let's say in, in commodities here, I might look. What is that price here? 60. I can't see it. It was a recent breakout. Yep. 60? Mm-hmm. Okay. And this is a what contract? Uh, this is just a continuous... Uh, yeah, this is a continuous. So this continuous is not a contract you can buy. <clears throat> this is oil itself. So let's say I bought a contract right here at 60. Mm-hmm. The first sell signal is going to happen where? 55. At 55. That's my stop. With a point-and-figure chart, I'm going to buy in now. I'm going to probe for a trend here. But my first stop is going to be that first sell signal, that double bottom. If it hits 55, I'm out. But I'm going to go right back in on the next buy signal. So the trend is up. It's above the trend line. So the problem that many of us have, 
especially when I was an advisor back in Merrill Lynch back in the 70s, is if we bought a stock and it didn't work out for the customer and we sold it, we always had something else to go into instead of going back to that stock that may regroup and take off and be the one that really wins. How often did we, back in the 70s, sell a particular stock because it's not working, go into another stock because we were sure that it would work, that stock we were sure that it would work would not work, and the one you came out of really takes off and goes. Took off eventually, so the, yeah. You know what that reminds me of when you switch lanes and you think that the other lane next to you is going to go faster. Yeah, when you're sitting in traffic. get stuck. Absolutely, Sarah. Great, great <laughs> analogy. I mean, and that's the things you need to think about is analogies like that. <clears throat> you sw- How many times have you switched lanes and you end up saying, ah, oh, I should have just stayed. Driving on I-64. <laughs> Even after work some days, I'll switch lanes to the, from the left lane to the right thinking, there's going to be a whole pileup of traffic in that left lane because everybody wants to be a speed demon and take off. Yep. But then, lo and behold, the lane I'm in comes to a screeching halt, mm-hmm. and everybody in the left lane can The little old lady from yeah. Pasadena's in that lane. Yep. Yep. <laughs> she is. And is trying to get over to the right lane, so she just hits her brakes. And that's what, happens. that's what happens with advisors. You can't go back to that stock that you took that didn't work for you. You've got to find another one that's going to work. So the probe trading is saying, you know what I'm going to do with stocks, what I would do with commodities. So I would buy the oil right here. I would stop at 55. And let's say then it pulls back. You get a three-box reversal, and you don't get stopped out. Mm-hmm. And it reverses back up and gives a second buy signal. I add a contract. Mm-hmm. And then the, then, the, then the oil moves a little bit higher, pulls back, perfectly normal. Things go up and down, but doesn't give a sell signal. The next buy signal, I add another contract. Now I have three contracts on buy signals. And each time, I move my stop up to the double bottom. So when you look at that, anyone that's listening to this, I want you to pull up Nike chart. And, and, and don't pull up any of those bar charts or anything like that. Pull up our point and figure chart, NKE. And I want you to look at that chart. And you think about it in probe trading. This is a great idea f- to, to show you what can happen. Is for three years, this stock continued in an uptrend. And if you look back to the bottom here, this stock began, let's say, on its first buy signal, yep. around $19.5. And every time you see a green box there, that's a new buy signal. So I might start out with buying 300 shares of Nike, and each time you see something green there, I'm adding 300 shares. <clears throat> so 3, 6, 9, 12, 15, 18. I'm, I'm up over 2,000 shares now. And this stock has moved from 19 and half. And finally, when you see that red box on Nike there, that's the sell signal that you sell the whole thing out. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't mean that you don't go back into Nike. As long as the trend is still up, as long as it maintains that trend, you can go back in and, and, and trade it again. But the point is, this forced you <clears throat> to stay with the position until you finally did get stopped out. So I have a number of stocks that I do that with, and I showed you guys the stocks. If I, if I name them here, they're going to get restricted. Nobody can do anything with them. So I showed you a number of stocks that I've done that with. Some have done really well. Some have done marginally well. Some are losers, but not much. Um, GNC would be a stock you might want to pull up that I gave it a shot. You'll notice it at the bottom. It's beginning to to regroup, or it did begin to regroup. Uh, I got a a couple of buy signals, and then I was stopped out and out of it. And and it's done nothing. A beautiful stop out. I mean, there's no... Mm-hmm. You know, right at that spread quadruple no question, bottom there at 650. Yeah. You just, uh, okay. You're going. gone. You're gone. So it's interesting with the probe trading that you allow the chart to do what it's going to do with no human intervention, but you know your rules and regulations. Yeah, I think going back into a position that's maybe burned you uh, goes against 
know a lot of investor psychology, but I really like the fact that you stick with the same universe and you just do what the chart tells you to do. So tell me what you think about my concept with um, one-stop shop. Because it's something I want you guys to look at. Because what I have done with one-stop shop, I'm a firm believer that with exchange-traded funds, to me it's like it's like watching uh, MasterChef. And when they're given this uh, recipe to do, they go into the MasterChef pantry. Mm-hmm. The first time I saw that MasterChef pantry, I saw ETFs. And when I saw the basket that they held under their arm to fill it up with what they were going to, to use, I, I saw the customer's portfolio. So what was unique last night when I'm watching MasterChef Canada, this was cool. They gave them, they had this, here's, here's the recipe you have to follow. Or, or here's the concept. Go get whatever you want to do this. And they all went in there and they got their own um, ingredients for what they planned to do themselves. They had the vision. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put this portfolio together, i.e. recipe together. But then they had one twist in it. The, the lady who had won the, the recipe thing beforehand, they gave her the right to take everyone else's basket and give it to someone else. So it would have been like a basket of ETFs <clears throat> that you put together for yourself, yeah. and you had a vision of this being a one-stop shop portfolio, but all of a sudden Sarah gets your basket. Now you gotta, you got to look into that basket and see what you could put together. And maybe you don't use all of them. You don't, you don't have to use all the ingredients. But you put together for a portfolio that is a one-stop shop. You only rebalance it once a year, but nothing ever gets sold. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I mean, what you're truly talking about at this point, and the, the lineup of ETFs that we've particularly looked at, you know, in, in some cases work on things that we've done research with, such as the complement of momentum and low volatility, mm-hmm. um, utilizing some core positions with that and things like that. And I mean, that, that's truly what you're looking for in the case of the one-stop shop is you're wanting some of this to go on under the hood to really rotate you into the right sectors, right mm-hmm. areas of the market. You know, in the case that momentum's going poorly, hopefully low volatility is helping you out there, so on and so forth. But that that's the goal is to have this portfolio that as you so aptly name, you come to one time and you never stop out. That's right. Never I mean, stop out. Everything is, is maintained there. <clears throat> so some of the things that are in there, like emerging markets, um, the regular emerging market might be EEM, might be PIE, and also the EELV. So I want to combine the two emerging market low volatility, which has a higher yield. And what's happened there is you have not been rewarded for having the low volatility in emerging markets and higher yield. Mm-hmm. Straight alpha has been the play for emerging markets. Okay, that's going to happen. But there'll be sometimes that EELV is going to play in there, and that's going to be important to have that. <clears throat> so another thing that I do that I have a, a lot of money in is the S&P indexing. It's my concept with indexing the S&P. Mm-hmm. So people want, want, want uh, passive investing. So I went into the S&P, and actually, actually, it's Vanguard. I go into Vanguards that have the Standard Poor's 500, 400, 600, value, growth, equal weight, on and on. Put those together and take the top five of those indexes. In so, a matrix, correct? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> right, in a matrix. Mm-hmm. And then take the top five. And that gets rebalanced once every six months. Why? Because when we tested it, that's what turned out was the best rebalancing. So you're going to review the matrix at once every six months. Right, exactly. 
So the first time that I that I did this, we reviewed it this December, and there were no changes. Okay, wonderful. Keep on rolling. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> and the, with this concept, an advisor can address the customer's desire to have a passive portfolio. It's what customers want, but once the customer comes in, he wants to talk about a passive portfolio, and you ask them the one question, do you think the S&P 500 can beat the S&P 500? And they look at you with cross eyes, and they say, well, what? Are you, are you crazy? No, we have, we have cap weight and equal weight. Let me explain how they work. And immediately you begin to understand, this is not so easy just to come into your advisor and say, let's, let's just do the S&P. Yeah, and it's one of those interesting <clears throat> things that, you know, in many cases, we've experienced it. We know advisors out there listening to this podcast have experienced it, that in many cases, clients come in and they say, well, I just want to do what the market does. Or mm-hmm. I just, you know, that that's fine with me. That I, I don't want to have the risk associated with owning maybe individual names or the risk associated with whatever excuse or concept they could come up with. Exactly. And in many cases, they just say, I just want to keep pace with the market, be what the market's doing. But what's intriguing to me about that in many cases is you can put portfolios like this one together, and I think it serves a much better purpose than sort of the initial client notion of, I just want to buy one thing that's going to do what the market does. This gives you the ability to say, well, we're owning the market, but we've also got these other areas that are also indexes, that are also considered market pieces, that will give us the potential for alpha. Mm -hmm. And because we're utilizing relative strength and because there's a process behind this, we're able to add value above what the market is giving us. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So indexing isn't so easy. Right. There's more to it. Another thing that I do in this particular portfolio is I have the 90 to 100 play. And why do I do that, Sarah? Because stocks that go to 90, uh, I'm probably going to mess this up, um, are likely to hit 100. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> stocks hit 90, 90 almost always go to 100. Almost always. That's what I was missing. Yeah. yeah. And stocks hit 900 almost always go to 1,000, which you don't have a lot of those doing this, but it's going to happen. Stocks that hit 90 almost always go to 100. We even Stocks have, move uh, fastest between 85 and 120. Why is that? <clears throat> this is like the Mr. Wizard Show. I want you guys to go to Google and type, type in Mr. Wizard Show. I'm going to say something about investor psychology, but just with numbers. No, 85 to 120, there's a reason why stocks move fastest there. And stocks moving faster would mean more demand than supply. Mm-hmm. Correct. Correct. Here's the reason. Institutions have a tremendous amount of money to, to spend. They can't buy $20 stocks. They can't buy $10 stocks. They can't buy $30 stocks. They need stuff that's over 100 where they can get more money into it. So when the stocks hit 85 and go to 120, that's the sweet spot where you're going to see institutions put more money in. Okay. So stocks move faster during that level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Stocks that hit 90 almost always go to 100. So I have a 90 to 100 program here. So what I do is I go into our system and I simply search for stocks that are like 92 or 93 with a good trend, positive relative strength, all the things that you would wanna, you'd want to uh, search for. And then I buy them. We actually have, if you go under the query tool, um, under the tools tab, 
um, under the public query section, we have a 90 to 100 ideas um, public query there. So all you would need to do is just simply click run. Um, that'll give you a list of 90 to 100 yeah, I mean, ideas. And looking at the list right now, you have names like Eastman Chemical Company, Dollar General, um, Owens Corning, Lowe's, Valero Energy, Time Warner, Texas Capital Bank shares. I mean, names that Motorola down towards the bottom. Right, we're not recommending those, right? So they're not going to. But, get, but I mean, ultimately, <laughs> ultimately, these are. You didn't I mean, these them, are. Did you? I didn't pay the restriction, but this is what this is what we're getting at. Though is a here's a tool that you can utilize to at least help you shorten the list and narrow the list down to those particular ninety two one hundred plays. Yeah, and just ultimately, you know, it's a it's an expansive list total of eighteen names. Yeah. I mean. That's plenty to work with, for no, sure. Nothing says you got to buy a thousand shares of each one of them, right? You know. But again, that's under the uh, the tools tab in the query engine, um, in the public queries. It just says ninety to one hundred. So what else do I do? Um, you know, I do a lot of different things. At, in at Schwab, I I have that's where my covered writing programs are, and um, I do a lot of covered writing. Since I ran the option department of Wheat First Securities for nine years, the more I got involved in options, the more I realized that if I if I start with your money in my pocket, I have an advantage. I I sell calls. I sell puts. I love to sell puts. If it's a stock that I want to own, I have lots of puts out there. So I'll sell puts till the cows come home. Great. Put me the stock. I get my premium. And I do that at Charles Schwab. So I do a lot of different things at Charles Schwab with, within the options realm. And I love it. You know, I'm, my son, Thomas, has gotten me back involved in options. And it's, I wake up every morning thinking about options because it's so unique, the things that you can create with options. Um, what else have I got here? One-stop shop. I have a municipal bond that I bought here. But my municipal bond portfolio, I have a very large portfolio that, that is um, – laddered. So it looks like a, nor- a bell curve, but well, actually not quite a bell curve. Most of my stuff is more short term. So when a, sp- a bond comes due, because I, I don't care whether the rates go up or down, it doesn't matter to me. Just when the bond comes due, I want to be sure I get my money back. So I have high quality, mostly Virginia paper, pre-refunded, that type of thing. So I have a municipal bond portfolio along with what I do with equities. And here I have a tech stock um, portfolio. I have a non-folio, which would be open to anything that I want to do um, in buying stocks. And what else do I have? A small one, buy on pullback. Our buy on pullback page, I love that. If you go mm-hmm. look at the buy on pullback, where do you get that from, Sarah? Yeah, let's see. The buy on pullback <clears throat> report is on the database reports um, page, which is, again, under tools. Just select database reports. And on the left-hand side, you'll see the um, buy on pullback report. You just simply click it, and it will give you... Um, those ideas. What I love to do is put those into a portfolio. Just click the thing, put, some, put them into a portfolio, and then you can look at the thumbs, thumbnails, mm-hmm. and you can get a quick view of, of them. And the buy and pullback portfolio, I want to buy stuff on pullback. I want to buy stuff on sale. So you look through there and you see some names you've never even heard of before. But wow, this is in an industry that I like. The stock chart looks fantastic. It's got a pullback to support. I'm in. So I called it buy on pullback random. Because I didn't want any research done on it. I wanted it to be in on a pullback, and it's got to be above the trend line, and I'm in. So I said, buy on pullback. Ra- Do you see random here? Yep. That's the name of the portfolio. Buy on pullback, random. Worked out beautifully. 
Well, but that brings up a point that we were even talking about as we discussed at the very first part of this podcast. We had 20 minutes where we mm-hmm. were just shooting the breeze. Right. One of the things we talked about was the fact that there there is something to being random in, in some of this selection. I mean, we were mainly talking about the probe portfolio. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as as analysts, as also buyers of stocks and things like that, you you always are looking for this tan- – you're trying to find this tangible reasoning for why you should own the, the stock. And what's intriguing to me is I've, I've discussed with a couple of advisors who have read John Lewis's paper and looked through the query engine and simply done – you know, simple queries like S and P 500 stocks that are buy in a column of X's right now. So you're utilizing relative strength to help you initially screen, but then some folks will just use the the, the random function in Excel and pick ten random stocks. I mean, and and maybe they take those ten random stocks and allocate accordingly based on some of the research that they do. But they're the intriguing but the thing 10 to me. But the ten random stocks are are relative strengths positive in right. a column of X's. Right. Okay, that's that's the criteria. Okay. So it's not so random. Only, I mean, it's, but that's yeah. the only criteria. Right. I mean, outside of that, you, you you leave it alone and leave it up to the random thought. And I mean, what we really hit on in a lot of ways was that, and especially you more speaking to experience than either two of us, was in that random selection, the amount of times you've had stocks that, you know, at first when you bought them, you kind of looked at them but said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with it. I'm going to stick with this process. And they've ultimately paid off. And some of the stocks that you thought you initially bought that you could have sworn they were going to take off to the moon were the mm-hmm. ones that traded sideways for periods mm-hmm. in excess of years and so on and so forth. So it's interesting to me that you know in some of the white papers we've done and some of the research and, again, in some of your own experience that there's a little something to being at least a little bit random. Yeah. You know, I mean, and and that's intriguing to me. Not that I think we're all sitting here, you know, looking at every advisor listening to this podcast and say only pick your stocks randomly. Now, don't do that. But th- there's something to the process. Mm-hmm. There's something to the fact that you know, in in some ways, it is random. It is there. There is some luck, if you will, involved of finding some of these big hitters and finding stocks that are, you know. But you're making your own, you're making your own luck. Right. Saying, you know right. what? And that's I want to. I want to go in the ball field. I yeah, want to be exactly. in that ball field. You know. Yes. And that's sometimes all you got to do is you just got to be in the ball field. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's it. Yeah. Well, Sarah, we've talked about a lot of things over the years, and you usually open an account and give them a try. I know you're going. <laughs> I know you're going to do the pro trading. Yes. I, but I also, as one of the group on the crypto group, mm-hmm. we're going to be coming back with new ideas. We have. Uh, when are you going to put that? Uh, um, music coin in. Yeah, so we're reviewing that probably over, hopefully over the next few days. Um, but we have a few pieces that have been written and that we hope to get into the report. Okay, good. Um, I, if anyone out there has any basic questions on anything crypto or Bitcoin, um, please feel free to email me. I'm kind of doing a you know FAQ, frequently asked questions. Um, just some of the basics that I've gotten some calls that have been pretty interesting with just general questions. Um, and my email address is just Sarah. Um, S-A-R-A, and then M is in Mary at DorseyWright.com. Um, I'd love to um, hear your thoughts or just what general questions you have or maybe what your clients are asking. And this is important. You know, what, what you just said, Sarah, what your clients are asking, I realize that most brokerage firms won't allow 
uh, won't allow you to get involved in the Bitcoin or anything like that or the cryptocurrency. But it doesn't mean the clients aren't asking. They're You're darn asking. right. It doesn't mean your clients aren't calling you up and asking, and you better have an answer. Because I'll tell you what, I remember, I remember one time um, when I was a broker at Merrill Lynch, and we were, the, the big craze was gambling stocks. And I lost an account, a good solid account. Because a guy over at Payne Weber, who was Payne Weber at the time, said he was a Bally manufacturing expert, trading expert. The guy took his whole account there to trade Bally. Bally manufacturing makes slot machines. But this was back in the craze of, of gambling. Mm-hmm. You can't believe it was like the dot-com craze, but specifically in gambling. So he went over there, and I don't know how it turned out for him, but this guy was an expert in trading Bally manufacturing. And that's how crazy it can get. I feel like people just want someone that they can talk to. And even if, again, if you can't buy into it right now or, you know, um, at least you're able to yeah. semi-confidently talk about it. And I feel like for right now that's a that's going to be a way to attract millennials. Um, I, I think personally you just need to, um, you know, know the basics. Yeah, so stick with us. We're going to have a lot of uh, research, a lot of talks, a lot of podcasts on the uh, cryptocurrencies. Uh, just because you can't do it now doesn't mean that you don't you don't you, you don't need the education to do it. Yep. And your customers are asking you. You better have something to say. Yep. Plain and simple. So we'll see you next week. What do you think, guys? Sounds great. Sounds great. All right. Happy holidays.